the subject for this evening's talk is deep experiences. I think generally speaking, our life is actively uh, interested in the range and variety of experiences which come to us. <coughs> we look at our world very much through the lens of our experiences. And we look back in the years of our existence and we can probably recall quite easily and effortlessly a range of and variety of experiences which have happened to us and the characteristic of a number of those experiences is that they have affected our lives and the effect on our lives has continued directly or indirectly into the future. And we go from extremes to extraordinary. <coughs> maybe, maybe one or two. Yeah, yeah, please sit down. Yeah. Okay. And we find that these experiences from the past and the uh, recent past have an impact and influence on us and there is some uh, Im enough impression enough has emerged out of those experiences that they seem to extend into our life in the future we also of course can include in that the field of spiritual experience the religious experience and it's very difficult to perceive how deep an experience runs, how far it's gone with us, what the impact of it is upon us. And in this talk this evening, I will try to touch upon some of the varieties and ranges of the spiritual experience and also endeavour in a small way to show or illustrate some indications of the meaningfulness of experiences. Firstly though, for just for a few minutes on the very basics, and I think the basics are quite uh, vital to these uh, processes. In our days that we have uh, spent here, there was outlined at the very beginning the ethical foundations for this way of life. And those ethical foundations are quite indispensable and if we were to neglect or ignore them as sometimes is done in the name of religion, is in the name of spirituality, to me it reduces our activities and our commitments here essentially to mental gymnastics and it's not unusual of course in the neglect of the ethical uh, foundations that a person may have a range and variety of spiritual experiences whether 
in meditation, in the nature, through drugs, through spontaneity, but it doesn't actually impose its influence in our day-to-day -day life and it doesn't necessarily affect the ethical foundations and awarenesses of our life. No matter how ultimate, no matter how extensive <coughs> and vivid and articulate, in fact, the experience, the spiritual experience is, it's not regarded in deep spiritual life as having significance if it doesn't have its influence in ethical relationships, in ethical being. We began the retreat here, and not only, I hope, here for our uh, period of our ten days here together, but also uh, elsewhere in our daily life, as it were, on the principle initially of the ethical guidelines, that means not engaging in killing. It also means for me also not giving uh, support to the willful uh, destruction of life through identification with belief systems, through identification with uh, the nation state or whatever. We've spoken of, ethic of ethical foundations in terms of not uh, st stealing, cheating, uh, depriving uh, others and that willful engagement in that to satisfy selfish, personal, uh, manipulative ends. We have spoken to, with regard to our sexual relationships in life and those kind of relationships being such that it isn't manipulating or harming or abusing uh, another human being through that form of relationship. We spoke of the necessity and the value of speech in life, of skillful speech, right speech, appropriate speech, and again speech which doesn't uh, willfully intend to harm or cause suffering to the person that we are speaking to directly, nor to uh, anyone else that we might be speaking about. And the fifth one, of not engaging in the abuse of uh, alcohol and drugs, which so easily not only bring a person into various forms of vulnerability, unnecessarily forms of vulnerability, but also can generate suffering, carelessness and pain for others as well. <coughs> we spoke of this, and in speaking of this, as it were, on the retreat, in fact, prior to any form of spiritual experience, that the world itself would be a dramatically significant place, different, <coughs> significantly different place, if human beings could only just agree to keep one of these. What an extraordinarily different world it would be if all five were kept. All five were regarded as vital for the human welfare and for peace and harmony on the earth. And what that would mean in a number of those five would be that we would be putting ourselves as human beings first and the nation state last, the religion of our uh, choice or birth last, the uh, culture which we identify with last, 
all of that which has been laid on human beings and which we have laid on ourselves would play a very minor role because any of that easily contributes to divisiveness. So our nation-state, our political ideologies, our class system, our uh, religious beliefs, all of that is superfluous or secondary to something else and we might say it's being a human being and we are a human being first and everything else is overladen on us as human beings through internal tendencies and external influences. So we began these days together and we said these five ethical guidelines, not killing, not stealing, not engaging in uh, sexual harm, not telling lies, not abusing alcohol and drugs, serve as a form of support and guidance for each and every person. Now it may be, and quite often is of course, that a person hasn't, doesn't think in that kind of formulation and it's not necessary to do so. But if a person has had an authentic spiritual experience of life, uh, one of the indicators, one of the yardsticks or measures of it is that those ethical guidelines do, though the form of language may not be used, do actively play a part <coughs> in that person's life. What sometimes one sees and hears, and I as a Dharma teacher here of course worldwide, in many different circumstances, both in and outside of retreat, is very personal and intimate accounts of people's deep experiences. And it is a, obviously it is a, a privilege to have such wide exposure to thousands of people every, every year about their spiritual experiences as well as other uh, forms. And in the listening to those experiences, a person may say, in that time, in that experience, this happened to me and, it, and it's made a tremendous impact on me in some way or other. But I do say, in a number of those cases which I speak to, it, it may, not have, may not have occurred to that person the person may not have, have, a reali have realized that the spiritual experience, when it is spiritual, when it's deep, profound, and eye-opening, so to speak, it must influence the ethics. If it, if it doesn't influence the ethics, it's still an, uh, uh, a momentary form of experience. I still say, yes, it's valid in a conventional sense. One must not refute nor deny a person's uh, experience, but when we're speaking of deep experience, authentic spiritual experience in the, in the traditional way that we speak of it, then we can't say, I have that, and it's somehow secondary, ethics is secondary, or doesn't really matter at all. So there are, there are people, whether through drug, uh, drug use, abuse, People who feel it is justified to go to war for the nation-state. People who uh, feel that the accumulation of uh, money, power and profit is uh, uh, the most important thing of life will, and I have heard many times of course this, 
will, of course, give testimony and actually give witness to their uh, spiritual experience or a series of them which they have had and yet it hasn't touched any of that. They've gone on living their life as though that experience and their life are two separate events. And one wonders, what is it that in that experience which may be described in exactly the same terms for another human being but for him or her it's completely touched upon the ethics of their life and for another person describing precisely the same experience hasn't got anywhere near it and it hasn't even occurred to the person that spiritual experience and ethical values do have a relationship why the gap for one and no gap for the other what is that? Other factors of spiritual experience. It is, a, it, is a, it is a strange and mystical thing even when speaking of deep spiritual uh, experiences. If we take the world of uh, the tradition, in this case uh, the Buddhist tradition, in this case the um, uh, <coughs> pardon me, Eastern tradition and uh, mystical tradition, uh, therefore e North, East, South and West that there is <coughs> maybe a water experience too huh? <coughs> there is in that a whole tremendous variety and range of spiritual experiences which can take place a number of you I don't know what the percentage is in this room but I think it's fairly substantial percentage a number of you, certainly prior to coming here, have had <coughs> contact with spiritual teachers, spiritual traditions, uh, teachings, in a variety of forms, north, south, east and west. Some of those influences in your life have impacted upon you. In the time of those particular situations which have occurred, one might say that in, in some forms of experience the particular social environment has contributed significantly to the experience. In a number of cases there will be people in this uh, hall here, and I'm not excluding myself, who will say, I can recall the time when I went to see a particular uh, teacher recently or in the distant past and out of the contact with him or her there was in that contact something actually took place and it impacted enough on me that the experience of that has affected my life for days, weeks, months and years. For some of you in that it, you can actually recall the very precise moment in time in which you were touched by another human being and that was a, a springboard for opening the eyes, for looking into life and to moving into more deeply into the spiritual experience. For others, similarly with regard to the teacher in this case, that there has been or is a contact 
You can't specifically record any particular moment or occurrence which took place that your way of perceiving that deep experience might be to, to describe it as some of you may hear. I spent ten days with this teacher or teachers, ten days involved, immersed in these teachings, and as a result of that period of ten days, it might be, or ten minutes or ten hours or ten months, it doesn't matter, in that period of time, generalized experience, it impacted on me. I can't remember anything precise which took place in that. There was no sudden experience, but something occurred in that period of time, and the outcome of it is my life is certainly is different. I think about myself differently. I think about what matters differently, and the influence is showing itself insofar as it's directing me, this influence, to different teachers or teachings, to different spiritual communities or circumstances, to something else which feels to be a life which is considerably different before than before that time I met that teacher, that teaching, that occasion. So to some degree, in some way or other, there is a, a, an impactfulness on yourself. You're touched by that in some way or other, and in being, being touched by that, it could be in the precision of a moment, a single moment, a single word, a single silence, and in that, things have changed forevermore. But sometimes, equally valid, it's a general experience, a general sense, and that general sense has done the same as the specific. General or sudden things are such that one knows that if it's gone deep, if the experience has genuinely gone deep, another characteristic of a deep human experience is that one can never, ever go back to what was before in terms of the old patterns. The old patterns may arise, the old ambitions, the old desires, the old ego, the old sense of being driven, the sense of being uh, obsessed with things, and all of that. Certainly that may arise in spite of very deep experiences. But the feature of a, of a deep experience is that though that may arise, one knows it's not the truth of life. It's an aberration, it's a distortion, it's, a, it's a, a, an unfortunate influence, but it's not the truth of things. So in other words, uh, as deep experience is shown by the ethical relationships, the values that you and I live with and uh, imbibe in life, that's one feature of deep experience. A second characteristic of deep experience, whether general or sudden, is that one can't go back to what was old and all that fears and greed and aggression and selfishness and egotism and arrogance. One can't put one's heart into it anymore. One can't give support to it anymore even though it doesn't necessarily mean one is free from it. 
may not, one may not be free from it despite the depth of the experience. Sometimes, and I take a, some, I think poetry sometimes gets a little bit closer to the heart of things sometimes than our actual um, uh, eff efforts in, in other forms of transmissions. Sometimes the f expression of experience comes, one has been aware, doing something very ordinary, and we, what we've been doing is very ordinary over these days, giving awareness to bodily life. And we have spoken about the bodily life, and the vibrations of the bodily life, the experience of bodily life. Last night I spoke about the outer body, speaking, speaking about the deeper uh, inner body. And then sometimes, <coughs> in, in that, that, be that becomes a revelation for a deeper experience. It begins to show something else. It's not just my body, which is one form of experience. It's not just I am sitting here, another form of experience. It's not just seeing body as body, which gives some space around the body and which indicates less attachment, less possessiveness, less identification, less ego wrapped up in the body. Sometimes we are with the body and sometimes there is deep experience which tells us of something else. Tears and Raindrops is the name of the poem. Hear this song of our physical selves. Dwell where our body speaks quietly of itself. None can settle apart, even with what we know. Common link of our participation in a green world where intimacy trusts the everyday imperative and joy is the signal of this meeting place. This uncombed hair of the head grows like the wild grasses of this round world. This body lies on its side with undulating contours of hills and valleys. Long deep breaths flow in and out like the wind flowing along the edges of the moor. The blood winds along veins and arteries as the streams and rivers in the soft countryside. With eyelids that close on rolling plains and reveals the darkness of the night. Hear the occasional sneeze that storms across the earth like a hurricane and daylight is turned into night. And the hard bones and joints, knuckles and elbows are but rocks and tors of granite existence. This benediction that bestows a revelation of harmony when all is revealed when I is forgotten. And in the dampness of the pounding body where sweat pours across this land like the damp mists of sublime nature. From time to time tears well up and flow as a dramatic happening like large raindrops of a summer's storm. Patches and growth of clustered hair, like copses amidst unwoven plains 
as human life speaks not only of itself. Words emerge out of this blood remembering. Home dwells not where the heart is, but deep in this landscape where there is no measurement. Hear this song of ourselves. So sometimes in our immediacy of experience with physical life, the ordinary conventional experience is some separation, some similarity of elements here with the elements which are around. But sometimes there's that depth of spiritual experience and that depth of experience dissolves in those moments the whole construction of the I. And then there is a natural and effortless inseparability in which one's own hair of the head is nothing but the grasses of the earth and the tears that drop is nothing but the raindrops dropping from the sky. And one can't see the differences that one had assumed and believed and the view that one has taken on board for so long in the conventional way loses its meaning because spiritual experience and its depth have showed through that awareness of the body, through that care and interest and intimacy with the body, something about the body of life. Something about the body of life. Sometimes, <coughs> with the field of deep spiritual experiences, something else also goes on for a human being. And that is that in its movement, when an experience has had a strong impact on us, the thought process which accompanies that experience doesn't necessarily do justice to the experience. Very important to understand this bit. There may be deep spiritual experience and in the midst of it or immediately after thoughts arise about that experience. What do the thoughts make of the experience? What is made to matter there? For some, the thought which arises of one's experience is one, of course, of appreciation, of gratitude, of realizing that the ego itself couldn't make this happen, couldn't control this, couldn't determine this, couldn't force its appearance, and therefore there is something of the unknown and unexpected in that experience. And one is grateful and appreciative of, of being touched in a particular way. But Thoughts also, the same stream of thoughts, will say in natural terms, you know, I had this experience. The experience happened to me. I st still would say, it's fine to think in those terms. The experience happened to oneself, it happened to me, it, was imp it influenced me. When the thought, with its movement, goes too far, in its authority. The indication of it going too far is that one wishes to repeat the experience. The very desire to want to have again is the corruption of it. Experience doesn't corrupt life. 
It reveals it in its majesty and in its dignity, deep spiritual experiences. But the thought comes in, and that thought says, I want to have this again. And the mind and the body and the light begins to try to organize itself, tries to duplicate things to force that experience to repeat itself. And the corruption and the manipulation in innocence and in a certain goodness begins to take place. And that's one important spiritual experience of life and depth of spiritual experience and wisdom in life is nothing can ever be repeated. One cannot repeat. No two events, no two experience can ever be reproduced. And you and I, we can put ourselves in almost identical spots. There are people who have come on these retreats who have sat in exactly the same spot as they did the previous year and the previous year because they think there's got to be a special vibe in that spot. And there's something more likely to happen if they sit in the same spot each year than if they go and sit somewhere else. Hopeless, hopeless endeavour. So can we allow, when we are touched with something of life, we call it spiritual, we call it a deep feeling, or a connectedness, or a discovery, or an insight, can we, in that, acknowledge that, with the appreciation and recognition which can accompany that, and in its appreciation and recognition, when the quality of that experience fades as it can in a single moment or in moments or in hours or it stays with a person for several days or whatever that its appreciation is such there is not a drop of trace of I want to have this again. One is not making ownership in that way. Acknowledging in the moment but not making ownership in time. Sometimes there are experiences which take place in the spiritual life one is touched by something and the thought arises and it's not an uncommon thought and I've heard this several times uh, during this retreat as well as others and a person has said something has happened to me or something is happening to me but when I try to work it out when I try to to describe it to you and to myself or what a person says, when I try to describe it to myself I just don't seem to have the concepts I don't seem to have the words to be able to describe my experience it just, I seem to be lost for words the person may think he or she is generally articulate the person may think of themselves as not being very skillful with words which are all very secondary to obviously to what deeply matters in life. But the person, regardless of their relationship to their mind and to language, feels like, well, just don't, can't say what I really want to say. All I know is something is happening and it's happening deep inside of me and I just can't express it. What may happen in some cases, and, th- and that particularly, is that sometimes there is enough communication can take place in which a teacher 
for example, or someone experienced in these matters, is able, in the connection with the person, to understand this, some of the essential things which are happening for that person, and through that mutual exploration, some light of understanding is shed on that experience. But sometimes one cannot. Words are not there. They're just knowing that something has happened or something is happening, neither teacher or mature spiritual person or whatever language you want to say, or the person himself has, just cannot, nobody's, neither, none's got the language or the words to describe this. And when it's like that, that's the fact. Sometimes that's the truth. If it is the truth in those times, one falls back on the trust. One must have trust. It's not necessary to be able to describe deep spiritual experiences it's not necessary to have to bring the mind in to express what's going on inside. Sometimes the mind is not the fit instrument for it. The world of speech is not the instrument. And thus our experience is taking place. We are wordless in that experience. We trust that whatever is going on will move appropriately for us and it will be of benefit to one and all. No words to talk about. Sometimes at another person, person comes, again a regular voice, this on, in, uh, on retreats and in spiritual life. Person said, somebody said to me today, Christopher, some time ago I had this particular experience. And in this experience everything just dropped away. Three or four of you have been speaking of this just you know, in different ways uh, during the course of today at other times as well. <coughs> and one has no, knows and realizes an essential freedom in life, as one person said. Another person said to me, in that realization, there was the ego was sanctified, a very beautiful expression there. Something occurs to the I, to the self. Another person said, I've been wandering and searching and seeking and now I have come home. Another person said, oh, this is all in the course of today's uh, meetings with different people. Another person wow. said, said, said to me today, there was an experience in that experience. The eye dropped, the body dropped, the self dropped, the notions of me, all of that just ceased. Sometimes one wishes naturally enough to share and talk and speak of these experiences and of course one wishes in any kind of sharing and communicating of these experiences and the range of other experiences which are available why do we want to share one of the reasons that we wish to share is because we wish that we wish others to hopefully to understand what we ha what has happened to us understand what has touched us what has affected us and may significantly affect our life for a long, long time. One hopes it does, obviously. But one goes to a particular teacher, and one speaks <coughs> in that particular way, and one may feel that that teacher, he or she or, or they, really does understand, really can hear what your depth of uh, experience is, and the language which you use is understood and is acknowledged 
and you feel understood. But one cannot say that going to any spiritual teacher, no matter what authority he or she is invested with, one can't say, if I speak about my experience, if he or she is a teacher, then you can assume he or she will understand what you have to say. <coughs> Some teachers are completely bemused by experiences. Some teachers don't know how to handle some deep spiritual experiences. Some teachers will dismiss it. Some teachers will just say, well, that's just another experience. They're all impermanent. So what? Coming and going or whatever <laughs> it might be. And all, all of that somehow, when one speaks in that way of those experiences, just as I, as a, a, a Dharma student, would speak of experiences and and have heard the different responses from different teachers in relationship to them. Similarly, you may speak of your experience. The, the end result of speaking of your experience is you feel you're not understood. If you have that feeling in that communication that you are not understood, it may indicate that you're not speaking to the right person. It's important to feel understood when speaking of deep spiritual experiences and therefore it may be with that particular teacher that you don't feel that. Whoever we may be. Doesn't necessarily, in sharing and speaking of experiences, it doesn't necessarily mean having to go to those who have received uh, transmission, who have been authorised. So sometimes there are people, and there are people in this hall as well, for example, who have much experience of the spiritual life and, and years of very dedicated and single-pointed focus that, that their life and spiritual matters and deep things of life is their interest. Everything else has to be secondary to that flow. And one speaks with such uh, people and sometimes a, a real connection and understanding can take place. However, when we speak of our experiences, the considerations are right person, the right subject matter, the right time, and the right place. When one is talking of things in life which are deep, and particularly experiences which deeply matter to you, then the, the right person, the right theme, the right subject matter, of those experiences, the right time and the right place, those kind of factors are very important for that kind of uh, meeting so that there's a, a, a deepening of the understanding of that experience. <coughs> in the very communication of one's experiences in, in life, that communication very easily, and as a number of you have pointed out to me uh, during the days, how easily, in talking of experiences and the range of them and the insights and realizations that can come with them, how incredibly quick the ego can come in and the spiritual experience becomes a license for I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my and the real interest is not sharing experience but actually to impress, to actually say, look what I've got. This is crass 
spiritual materialism because the ego has got in and it has corrupted something. So again, our wisdom must accompany experience every time we open our mouth, every time we put pen to paper, every time we, we share in some way or other. And the, the, the significant thing of realization, of deep experience, deep insight, deep awakening, in fact, one hardly has to speak about experience. One hardly has to say, this happened to me in such and such a time and such and such a place. Because the authority comes from that experience and if a person is a little aware and a little conscious and a little receptive, one will know in the listening to that person that he or she speaks from experience which is immediate and daily and living and is not theoretical, is not abstract and is not something related to some experience 5, 10, 15 or 20 years ago. You can tell, you can tell when you listen, you can tell when you share, you can tell when you communicate whether a person knows what you are talking about or, and you know and you can sense if that person knows what he or she is talking about. Deep experiences bring the recognition of others of deep experiences. Deep experiences of oneself bring the recognition of others of deep experiences. And the range and the variety of those experiences is significant. Sometimes, with our experiences which take place, we do tend <coughs> to uh, isolate the experiences. We tend to, how to say, put it in a, in a certain kind of uh, category. And there are experiences which are different. And we say this experience, as I said before, happened to me today, during this period of time, and it came and it went, and it can be incredibly awakening, genuinely insightful, and a genuine revelation. But the characteristic of deep experience is not something purely held in a period of time. If it's purely in a period of time, time will go by, and that experience for you will seem to be more and more distant, because the days, the weeks, the months, and years go by, and, and all that you'll have is a distant memory. And if the memory, is the, when the memory becomes more and more distant from experience, then one starts having to use memory and thought and the mind much more. Whereas experience is living, and therefore the sense of the living matters. Let us not dwell with the old when the, when the, when the living experience is the one that matters. A small poem here, which I try to convey what I mean. It's called Ordinary and the Everyday. <coughs> with the movement of thoughts and events, separation increases and strengthens the frequency and continuity of movement, solidifies our belief of being in conflict with life, and all this is taken for granted. Then one day we look outside, open our eyes, look around, and for a moment we sense the possible, 
the probable, the actual. The petty, trivial mind with its preoccupations and wants, the I, me and mine, cease to function. Despite the madness, the confusion, the fear, another dimension briefly reveals itself. In seeing, what utter joy. The small mind becomes transparent, empty, without foundation. Yet how easily we identify and label such an experience as ultimate. So this non-dual freedom remains elusive and we are left grasping after the ephemeral. When no experience is held on to, there is no experience to lose or pursue. So why look beyond the ordinary and the everyday? So sometimes in our relationship to experience, we will say, my life seems ordinary. The everyday things of life seems very ordinary, ordinary. I engage in the process of meditation. I engage in the process of exposure to teachers and teachings. I, th I throw myself into the silence. I give up as much as I can for, to go and probe deeply. And then, possibly, something extraordinary occurs. And then I find that I have a duality. I have this taste of something which I call extraordinary, which has touched me and I've responded to, and there's a seeing there, and there's a, there's a, a joy, there's a, an ecstasy, there's such wonderful uh, insights and receptivity, but then it seems it passes, and, that, and when my mind and my thoughts, which had seemed so empty and transparent, it seems like I'm back. I'm back into my world of thoughts and my desires and my wanting for continuity, etc. And somehow or other, I'm known of the extraordinary, and now I'm back with the ordinary. Where, what is the non-dual? What is the non-dual? Is it, is it that I, somehow or other, I just keep going backwards and forwards? And then these deep experiences fade away, and then I'm back with my ordinary, everyday self, my everyday mind. What is it then that we might be blind to in the ordinary? Is, is our ordinary day that ordinary? Could life ever be fitted into a notion, an idea, a viewpoint that it's ordinary? Can anything ever be ordinary? And sometimes we, we listen to the, that, we, we tune into ourselves, we connect, connect in with today and with the moment, and something deep inside of us says, how could anything ever with life ever be ordinary? How could we imagine and deceive ourselves to thinking it's ordinary. 
And sometimes that line, that division that we have made between what we refer to as the extraordinary and the profound and the deep and what we prefer, refer to as the ordinary or the profane or the everyday, sometimes that line it begins to dissolve and one says, my God, this ordinary is extraordinary and this extraordinary is ordinary. <laughs> the line's gone. whole sense of life and a dimension and the potential for revealing itself is again. <coughs> Sometimes though, this, as I mentioned with self and ego and experience, it can, and it is a common concern, and I think in some cases that common concern has deteriorated in fact from concern to cynicism and one of the ways that that can show itself is there is a common concern insofar as there are experiences and there can be just the endless pursuit of more experiences it's not so much a referring back to the having the old experience but the notion and the idea that if I go here if I see this teacher this teaching this place this situation or whatever, then I'll have more experiences. And one starts viewing the spiritual life as some kind of strategy to actually accumulate more experiences, like more stamps in one's spiritual passport. <laughs> and this, and this, and this, then the mind, again, is reduced and it is a, it's a reduction of, of uh, uh, human fulfillment and potential because the mind is reduced to thinking in narrowly defined exclusive terms. Going here, when I get there, then I can have this. And when I get there, then perhaps then I can have that, then I can have this. Isolation, gap, separation, and somehow all of that is unexplored. Why the mind has made to matter has made a thing of the pursuit of experience. But then we ask, with this variety and field of experience, is there an experience which is fully enlightening is there an experience which puts an end to all experience is there a revelation a discovery in which there is a finality to it and spiritual teachings and the statement of life says yes there is there is a completion to all of this then one asks, well, if that's so, is that in fact in terms of one having one particular experience, which is one of the residue impressions which has been left to us from the Bodhi tree, and much, I suspect, misunderstanding which has taken place, but it's another theme for a moment. There's a range of experiences which take place. And one says, is it 
the strength of the experience which matters. And to this I would have to say no, 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 and no again. No matter how much strength of uh, feeling and conviction may come from a person in terms of the experience that they have, and remember the person this evening who is talking to you has possibly uh, listened to as many spiritual experiences as as anybody else that I know, thousands and thousands and thousands over the last 20 years. So is, is it such that in the whole range of uh, experiences which take place, that it's, the, as it were, the scale of the experience which matters? And one thing which has become so abundantly clear uh, to, to me during these uh, years is it is not the scale of the experience which matters. The significant thing which matters is not the experience itself, but what is revealed through the experience. What the insight actually is. And as I said before, sometimes a person is unable to put it into words, and he or she should not be pressurized to do that. And from that experience, something flowers from it. Sometimes with those ex experiences a person can describe and that description for deep, profound insight speaks of one thing and one thing alone which is a feature of such realization. He or she speaks of ultimate truth. And it is the duty, one would say, of, uh, of teachers of enlightenment, teachers of awakening, teachers of ultimate truth, to know the ultimate truth so uh, intimately well so that when the person is speaking of ultimate truth one hears the ultimate truth and when the person is speaking of relative truth one knows what that relative truth is and the difference between the two and it's the ultimate truth in which there is the fulfillment of all insight the size of the experience is not the measurement what is the discerning element is the insight. When a person says to me, I've had this incredible experience of uh, God. I've, I've been fully uh, awakened. I've, I've found the true self. I've realized emptiness or whatever. This is valuable. It is important and it is uh, wonderful. The person says that and the confidence of, of saying it but what are the insights that show? What is shown in that? Can, can that be shown in the language and, and in the words? If it can't, never mind. Just saying that can be enough. If it is shown, the influence on one's heart and one's relationship to life is going to be profound. It's going to be profound. And one should never, ever underestimate the how profound such a statement is on the person's life if it is authentic but sometimes in some cases a person says such speaks of ultimate truth in their own way and framework of language and it's not that there is any ego there's no attempt to try to boost the ego or to uh, uh, make you know um, false claims in any way but this, the kind of experience which is taking place deceives the person and the person says I've had this incredible experience and uh, 
I just feel incredibly free. I'm, I, I've truly, first time in my life, I feel uh, a liberated human being. I understand everything you've been saying, Christopher, or whoever the teacher might be. And in all of that, there's genuine, authoritative feeling from the person. How would the person know? The person will not know by any teacher saying, yes, that's it, yes, that's what realization is, yes, that's what ultimate truth is. That may contribute, and it's our duty as teachers to give that kind of confirmation to a person if we hear the ultimate truth of things, but there's a kind of, I don't want to put it the word, like seasoning or... One of the traditions, uh, Zogchen tradition will speak of stabilizing or um, uh, grounding or whatever. But, the, but from experience and from the insights which come, it's in a way in which they have to season through the whole being. Since the revelation of things is not dependent on feeling, not dependent on thought, not dependent on perception or on, or on body, truth is truth regardless of what you and I feel, experience, or say, but the realization of it affects all of this. It affects this. Some extraordinary way it affects it. And so if that is true as the person sees in the time, in the moment, then that truth will speak in that person's life. It has to. There's, no, not, there's no, not a matter of having any choice about it. The truth has to speak in the person's life. And one of the features of the truth speaking in the person's life, if there is genuine transformation which has taken place, is the person hardly knows suffering. That's the truth. The person hardly knows suffering. That's when we speak of enlightened life, uh, realization of ultimate truth, discovery of that emptiness which makes all things possible, that uh, free life. However, in all the ways, finding God, living with God, being in God, however, whatever the language which is comfortable or no language which is comfortable for others, the life expression has to be the statement. And it's not so much in doing good deeds it's not so much by speaking or whatever that may be the way it shows itself is the person's life doesn't have much suffering in it and for some none whatsoever it's gone that is the feature of ultimate realization person has realized something and that this world which could have seemed such a problem to be in issues could be, have been such a drama to be in relationships which could have been such a crisis to be in fears which could have been so gripping and nightmarish or all of that or let's say nearly all of that is gone finished with and one knows that that is what one knows in and through the myriad number of circumstances that you and I may participate in. So sometimes a person says, but Christopher, I he hear this, but sometimes I experience, as another person said to me, 
there is realization but I can experience at times some envy I experience at times some longing I experience sometimes some uh, desire uh, force or whatever surely that ma- surely there must be something which is uh, could be expanded could be made more clear could something more and one says one lives in this extraordinary world and in the extraordinary nature of this world that such difficulties which can arise for an enlightened human being and appear in consciousness which are acknowledged and, and worked with that in spite of all of that it doesn't distract from the enlightenment it doesn't distract from, from the realization at all and so a person in the middle of some congestion of heart and mind, shall we put it like that, some agitation that is go- going on, that though that may be occurring, for a realized person, through deep experience and deep insight, no thought arises of doubt in that realization. There's no doubt. So some suffering can arise, some agitation, some negativity, some <coughs> fear, some conceit, some arrogance, whatever it might be there, but in its arising, in consciousness, in the experience of it, it doesn't have the grip which says, oh my God, perhaps I didn't realize anything. <laughs> perhaps I'm just deceiving myself, deceiving my teachers, deceiving the tradition, deceiving my friends, or whatever it might be. If the impact of an experience, and it touches one, a painful, difficult experience, and it touches one, and then it's generating a lot of doubt inside, and confusion, and perhaps God, perhaps it wasn't what I thought it was, and I've made a terrible mistake, and what am I going to say? <laughs> it's generating the doubts of the realization, one would, what one might say, in the past, what one actually had was deep experience, Deep insights, yes, but one can't speak the language of ultimate truth because a feature of ultimate truth, as saints and sages have said from past to present, that that realization is unshakable. One isn't tyrannized with doubt, no matter what the physical, mental, social, environmental circumstances of one's life, because one has realized the truth, and the truth dispels nearly all of the suffering in life and as I say for some all of it that is what ultimate truth does that's what realization does then one says <coughs> in seeing the relativity of the whole personality structure in seeing the relativity of path and goal in seeing the relativity and the conventional of practices and methods and techniques and all of that which has a usefulness a uh, construction for self to work with and so forth in that realization which accommodates and addresses all of that one says what finally what is the expression of a realized life what, what, what shows that what indicates that and sometimes for some human beings exploring in active ways in these matters the whole sense of devotion in life is transformed the sense of devotion to life is so different 
from the ultimate standpoint than from a relative. The whole sense of what service is in life is dramatically transformed because one knows the answer to the question who is one serving? Because one realizes the significance of asking who is one devoted to? What is one devoted to? whole sense of self and other I here, you there all of that is transformed and thus when we speak oh, realization then we say of kindness in the world realization and expression of realization is this unstoppable friendship towards life with no purpose to it no reason for it no gain from it, nothing to come back from it it is an unstoppable flow of friendship towards life that is what realization does so I say as some of you have, have been asking here and, and in speaking over your days of your experiences here as well as elsewhere that when you leave here tomorrow and you go in the, all the directions of the winds of life and wherever that, that may be. Some of the things which have occurred to you in experiences here, in insights here, in things which you have listened to from myself and uh, the other teachers, even those sometimes seemingly inconsequential thoughts that has arisen, which seemed at the time of no significance whatsoever for you that particular thought which seems so irrelevant and just a passing thought may in fact be the flowering of profound realization anybody who ever unfortunately dismisses the way in which profound revelation comes and says well it has to come from this place inside of me or it has to come through this particular contact with this particular teacher or teaching or through this particular meditation or particular environment or whatever is actually trying to put the, the immense and the immeasurable into something measurable and so I say thus for some and having heard many times over the years that there may have been a thought which seems so unimportant and so irrelevant at the time, seemed to have no weight to it, no charge, just a passing idea. Flip through consciousness, and it's that does something, and your life is never the same after. No one can say which is the profound moment of these last ten days. That which you thought may be, or that time, or the general period, which you may be thinking this evening as we come to the end of this period of time together whatever you may be focusing on may not be the moment the world of profound not knowing pervades every human being whether we like it or not <laughs> and if you know and have sensed things have been taking place with you and are taking place and as you listen uh, to the Dharma of the, e of the eve evening and things have taken place and are taking place for you please, please be moderate whatever 
you do tomorrow or the day or the day after. Don't be excessive with anything. Don't don't neglect the silences of the day. Don't neglect the, the beatitude of the moment. Don't neglect the religiousness which pervades the atmosphere of places like Budgaya and everywhere else. Let things stabilize. Let things season and trust in that. Sometimes the human beings had wonderful things occurring for them, as I say, one hardly knows sometimes in the moment or in this period of time, but the sheer entering into excess afterwards, and it's like it just gets like beautiful flowers getting lost in weeds. Therefore, we, just as we have been very respectful to each other during these days and through this period of uh, this time together, that same respectfulness to one's experiences here and the flow on out of here so that something profound comes out of a human being so profound it's unstoppable and it's shared with life and there's no ego and arrogance and conceit and patronizing attitude in it because one sees the horribleness of all of that and the, and the unnecess unnecessariness of it so that something profound flowers through us as human beings I say tomorrow and the day after matters as much as anything which has happened over these days <coughs> so, that, so that we are we are respectful and our, and our respectfulness for realization for insight for experience shows itself in not <coughs> not entering into excess On such truths of life, the welfare of this earth depends. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings realize the joy and sweetness of liberation. Let's have three or four quiet minutes together, shall we please?